good evening, guys. I hope you guys have had a great week. It's been a week full of innovation and technology consultations. I think this week there were also United Nations uh, technology consultations from across the continent, but I think the event was happening here in Nairobi. And there's so much that's going on in trying to drive the technology agenda and innovation and generally science around the globe. And um, one of the things I think I was part of was consultations from Africa on a global digital compact and what that's meant to look like for the African continent and the rest of the world. So what are some of those challenges that Africa is facing regarding internet connection and just emerging technologies and artificial intelligence and how that plugs into the whole uh, digital compact by the United Nations. And then there's also been the Innovation Week that has been going on. And I think a lot of conversations around um, the circular economy as well that have been ongoing in Rwanda. So much has been happening this week, and I think it's only fair that we have conversations around science, innovation, and collaboration. And who better to talk to than Leonard Kariko, who is the Managing Director at Dow Chemical East Africa. Leonard, it's so good to have you on the space. And before I can even let you speak, I just wanted to highlight a bit of what um, Mwango Capital is all about. For those of you who are joining the space for the first time, Mwango Capital have been here for some time, but I guess the last one year is where we can say we've seen Mwango Capital everywhere. I love the memes the most. Um, I don't know who does the memes at Mwango Capital, but yes, I'm a big fan of those memes. And Mwango Capital are a research and media company. They cover East Africa's financial market and seek to inform investors about um, what the companies do and help them to digest through research as well as um, company financials and business news. And these spaces, the Mwango spaces, are a brainchild of Mwango Capital, as you might know, and they happen mostly on Fridays, but also Wednesdays and other days of the week, um, especially when planned. And if you haven't followed them already, that is something that you should have done by now. Um, and so, yes, back to our conversation. Leonard, it's so good to have you on our space this evening. I know Fridays can get crazy, especially in December. <laughs> so it's so good to have you. No, thank you, Joy. Happy to be here. Um, and a good evening to everyone uh, on the spaces. Happy to be here. Um, so to everyone else. We will have a conversation and then much later we will open up the mics and allow you to ask questions around our areas of conversation. But in the meantime, you can take advantage of the comments section under the Mongo Capital handle. So, uh, Leonard, if we might get this started, probably tell us a bit about yourself uh, besides your first and last name and also a bit about Dow Chemical East Africa for our audiences to get a hang of what exactly the company is about, but more importantly, also about yourself. Oh, thanks, Joya. My name is, as you said, Leonard Kareko. Um, I'll tell you something interesting about myself, that I was a very good chemistry student in, <laughs> in high school. And uh, yeah. I became a chemical engineer. 
And I happened to work for one of the big chemical, if not the largest integrated chemical company in the world, which is a Dow Chemical. And we are happy to have an office here in Nairobi. Uh, a little bit about myself, uh, as I said, chemical engineer, uh, a father of two little kids, uh, a boy and a girl. How I spend my time, I enjoy trail running. I do long runs. Um, and um, and when I'm not running, I enjoy reading. And um, most importantly, I also enjoy uh, nature. That's where I do a lot of drives. And I enjoy the mountains. So that's a little bit about me. Um, from a professional perspective, chemical engineer, both a bachelor's and a master's. Um, and then I have an MBA. And um, my journey has been such that um, you always start being very technical. But uh, as you move on in your career, you move on to sales. Uh, so today I'm a chemical engineer, but truly focused in creating uh, uh, in sales and creating value for our customers uh, by introducing innovations to them. In terms of the region that we cover, we cover East Africa, uh, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and Ethiopia are the main markets uh, for us. Now, if I was to tell you a little bit about Dow, uh, Dow came to Kenya in 2010. Um, we established an office in the 2010. Dow, as I said, is a company that's been known uh, to be quite innovative, and it's a B2B business. So that's why you'll never see any of our products on the shelf. But for those who are in manufacturing, it's a brand that's well-known and quite reputable. Um, we established the office in 2010 and then uh, also opened an office in Ethiopia in 2015. So in East Africa, we are represented in Kenya and uh, Ethiopia. Okay. Um, and I'm seeing that you operate in about 104 manufacturing sites in 31 countries. That's huge. Yes. I was reading somewhere that you delivered sales of approximately $55 billion in 2021. Billion dollars, Leonard? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, uh, Joy, e even for us, it's a bit difficult to really have an understanding or a grasp of these numbers. But yeah, you're right. In 2021, our net sales are 55 billion. We are 35,700 employees. Um, and we're in 31 countries in which uh, Dow has manufacturing sites. So truly a global presence. So it's quite a huge organization. And what makes it even more special is that this year we celebrated 125 years since the company was formed. All right. Um, 35,700 people. That's a lot. We're going through a whole phase of right sizing and downsizing in different sectors. I don't know how you're keeping up with those numbers. Um, and making sure that people are maintained within the workspace? Uh, it's a good question you ask. Today, we are quite in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and truly ambiguous uh, environment. Huh? And, um, and just like any other organization, um, we're in the job in making sure that uh, we are right-sized. And luckily, we have been uh, in East Africa uh, and even pretty much in the region. Uh, because we are one of the youngest regions for the organization. Um, I think what's interesting and really what has kept us afloat is that the solutions we provide are basically consumed at the household level. So we are heavily uh, linked with what you consume day in, day out. And therefore, our business is not uh, foolproof, but at least we are able to grow as the population grows. Uh, we are able to continue growing even during COVID because at the end of the day, you have to eat. 
and pretty much have to clean and you have to continue, uh, for example, building. Um, and this is really how we have uh, survived not only COVID, but also this current environment. Right. And speaking of building, I mean, there's so many innovations that are popping up um, from Kenya, from Ethiopia, which is also one of your markets. Uh, and just generally across the African continent, there's so many emerging technologies that are informing how things are being done. But uh, from your perspective, where do you think that most of the promising innovations are coming from and where are they leading us to? First and foremost, I'm going to be biased. I think you <laughs> want to look at all the different um, organizations setting up in Kenya, coming up mm -hmm. with ways to serve the market. Uh, you have to say that uh, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, or basically Africa as a whole, you're seeing a lot of uh, innovation. The reality today, innovation is driven by the fact that you see there's a problem or there's a challenge and you can offer a solution. And in the African context, we are not short of challenges. The question is, um, what types of solutions can you come up with and scale it to really create that impact? So, and this is what really makes uh, Africa, number one, as a landscape quite exciting for us because it, we believe there's room to innovate uh, at a cost and being cost competitive. But more importantly, really solving the everyday to day challenges. Eh? And I'm glad to say you see most of our products or some of the innovations that we've had is solving some of these challenges. Great. The question is, what type of solutions can you come up with and scale? Are there particular um, innovations or solutions that are more marketable at the moment compared to others? Because it appears that even the competition in the tech space and the innovation space and science space as well, um, is more about which technology is going to be easily acceptable to the masses. And then that's the one that sells the most. But where do you think all of this, especially looking at it from the African perspective, what technologies are most driving um, the interest of the masses? Yeah, Allow me to be a bit biased and speak around uh, the chemical Again. industry because <laughs> this is the space I understand. Uh, yes. This is the space we live and breathe. There's a huge opportunity uh, and there's been a lot of innovation in the uh, uh, industrial chemical space where we have enabled brand owners to put better products on the shelf. And, and I mean better products. Uh, allow me to give an example. Uh, it was not long ago uh, that you'd go into the shelves and you'd find um, uh, a really huge difference between imported products and local uh, products. But if you observe today, um, if you look at the, and I'm talking about the shelf space where you see a lot of the packaged goods, huh? be it the, uh, the cereals, uh, be it your detergent, uh, be it uh, anything that you'd find in the shelf that's packaged. So today you're seeing that gap close where the local companies are really competing uh, effectively also with the international brands. And this is a good example of where we have been, we have enabled packaging solutions uh, in the local market to be able to compete with the international, not only brands, but also imported products. So to me, this has been an exciting space, a space that we have grown quite uh, significantly. Uh, another innovation I'd like to speak about is um, uh, we all know what's happening today when uh, the rains have not been here with us for two years. So 
Uh, as a company, we observe that there is this gap in the market in uh, our packaging business, uh, together with one of our uh, partners, Packaging Industries Limited. And for those who don't know Packaging Industries Limited, and I hope uh, we are all of that age, you remember those old, uh, back in the day when there were paper bags, namely green and yellow that had calendars on them? They used yes. to carry a bag. That was the company <laughs> that developed that plastic bag and their signature was putting calendars on it. And today they have transformed their business and they make silage bags that are reusable and uh, are really geared to the small-scale holder farmer who's basically having one cow, two cows to three cows. And so these are some of the exciting innovations that we see uh, and we are, we are a part of. And allow me just to mention one more innovation uh, that I'm yeah. very proud of is that... Uh, if you look at your cleaning uh, products, the cleaning products over time have improved. And I hope we are all consumers and we are all going to the supermarkets and trying to buy products. You have to say that now most brands are really putting out reasonably good quality products. And we have been part of that journey in one way mm-hmm. or another on the back end. Okay. It's interesting that you mentioned the paper bags that had calendars on them at the back, I'm sure many of us here must have either in some way had a relative or a family member who bought those bags. And especially, like you mentioned, um, people in the agricultural sector as well and industry generally had to make sure they had those. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned um, the transition that has happened along the way and over the years. And it's interesting to see that we are also being more and more receptive towards these changes. What would you say have been some of um, the visible successes since you got into the market in 2010? Wow. This is a good one uh, because we are also very proud of it. Um, As I said, we are in different sectors. Allow me to speak about paints and coating. Um, it was very common that when houses were painted, it needed three days before you could move in. Because if you moved in, there was such a heavy order and you had to leave the house open for days for that order to dissipate. And it was very simple because a lot of times that those paints were what we call solvent-based paints. And therefore, the solvent is just basically a chemical that evaporates at almost room temperature. Today, most paints and coatings that you buy are water-based. So meaning that they are much healthier. They are safer for the environment and also for you, the user. And that's been one of the biggest technologies that we have enabled in this market. And I'm glad to say uh, you have seen uh, brands uh, put out uh, water-based paints uh, that actually perform even better than the solvent-based paint. So that's one of the biggest things that we have enabled. Uh, I think the other thing I would uh, speak to is that uh, if you look at our industrialists in Kenya, in particular, even in East Africa, one of the things that we tend to notice is that they have invested in very good quality equipment over time and not just from 2010, but it's just been the nature of the market. And uh, what we have done is that to ensure that these investments that they have made, then they're able to produce products and goods that are similar to what you'd find in other markets. And this has been one of the biggest things that we have observed uh, over time. The other thing is to also raise awareness uh, uh, around what we call the Dow Corporate Impact Fund, is that we have new technologies and we have been able to uh, ex- show them to the market um, uh, through that uh, that fund. Eh? The, if you go to Kasarani, to the Little Sisters of St. Francis, they have a water kiosk. If you go there, you will see that they vend water that is uh, fl- uh, fluoride-free. 
because this is a technology that we uh, enabled to introduce into the market and now is quite accessible uh, 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 to many people and therefore uh, consuming water that has uh, no fluoride. As we all know, fluoride is a big challenge eh? uh, for your body. It browns the teeth and uh, actually weakens the bones. So that's a few of the examples that I would like to give in terms of the journey that we have walked through, but uh, hopefully it resonates with the uh, with the people on the uh, uh, on the call space. I'm, I'm sure it does. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned the aspect of making it more healthier for people to consume or ensuring the products that you are behind are safe and good for people's well-being. I think that's absolutely critical. In fact, the other day I was reading about um, the top 10 countries that produce the highest uh, plastic waste. And it was measured, I think, in metric tons. And Kenya, guess what, was number five among wow. the top 10 countries that um, produce the highest total plastic waste. Um, they put the number, I think, at about um, 1.2, close to 1.3 um, million metric tons of waste. So you can imagine how... All the other countries in this case, I'm sure you can take a wild guess and figure out who the top four countries are. There was Egypt, there was, um, I think, was it Algeria or Tunisia? Algeria uh, in second place, Nigeria in third place. <laughs> and then South Africa as well came in fourth place and then Kenya in the fifth place. But um, in terms of plastic waste, I think that there's so much uh, that needs to change. And this challenge of plastic waste is definitely one that when you come to many parts of Africa's cities, you're going to see a visible challenge with plastic waste. And I'm just curious to know how you as Dow are trying to address this because, I mean, we are now moving into a world where we are all talking about sustainable living, sustainable cities, um, and making sure that people understand the value in recycling uh, stuff. But this is a challenge we all face. And probably by 2050, we might not have figured it all out entirely, but we hope that we will. How do you think we can address some of these challenges? I wish I had a simple answer, but I'll tell you what we are doing as an organization. And then before I get to that, I make a comment. Um, Africa in general is consuming at least maximally one over six, a sixth of what developed nations consume when it comes to plastics. And the more we industrialize, the more people have more money to spend, the more everything gets packaged, the more the higher use of plastics, the more the challenge of plastics will continue to compound. So the reality is that when I look at the countries that you named Egypt all the way to Kenya, our, our plastic consumption is still much, much lower compared to other developed nations. Um, and here, when I mean developed nations, I'm looking at, uh, at the Northern Hemisphere, be it Europe, North America, Asia as well. Huh? So uh, to your point, today, plastics is a challenge when it's in the environment. I'm sure as we all drive around and uh, when it rains, the drainage is blocked and, and therefore you cannot get home on time. I mean, you have something negative to say about plastics, um, being that it's the most visible material today uh, that people attribute and see in the environment. So, but let's take a step back. Is the plastics bad or it's the way we dispose of it? 
So the reality is that plastics makes a big difference in the way we are able to live our lives. Today, when you go to the supermarket, you're able to buy your vegetables, pack them and go home. So there's a space for plastics and it today remains the best alternative to other materials when it comes to packaging because of how practical it is. But when it goes into the environment, when we dispose of it poorly is when it becomes a big challenge. So what's our play as a company? Uh, number one, plastics is the majority of Dow Chemical Company. I think today it's contributing out of that 55 billion that we were speaking about, about 50% is generated from our polyethylene business, which is essentially plastics. So we as being producers of plastics, we need to have a social license to operate. And that social license to operate comes from the fact that we want to create awareness of how you can add value to post-consumer plastics. That means the moment you went and bought whatever you bought from the supermarket that was packed in plastics, where can that plastics be reused, recycled, and make it back into some form of an economy? As a company, we have a plastics plan, and it's composed of two major approaches. One is stop the waste or stop the leakage into the environment. And to do this, you must make sure that the public is aware on how to best plastics. Number two, you must give plastics a value and we believe plastics has a value. So today when you see people consume your sodas and you see waste pickers collecting the plastics, it's because they see a value that they can sell that plastics to someone else and that person can then create or recycle it um, and create a different product. Number two is close the loop. Closing the loop, essentially is where we as companies, we start looking at uh, recycling and selling recycled products uh, in the future. And there's a commitment done by the company. Uh, by 2035, we aim to have a majority of our products sold into packaging applications containing recycled content. And most importantly, is that they should be reusable. So that's our play uh, around plastics and how we look at creating an impact um, around and creating an economy around plastics. All right. Um, creating a circular economy around plastics and closing the loop. Um, I like that you mentioned that uh, the products, once they get to the end of their lives, then you can't say you're going to recycle them any further, um, which brings me to the point around waste management. How then... Uh, with these innovations, do you think that we need to go about uh, disposing of or waste management? Because I think there is where the challenge is, especially. And I don't know what innovations are currently available because we've got all kinds of waste in the market. Uh, plastics is just one of them. Um, and it's just one frame of the rest of um, the pool of waste and management is that big challenge. Where do you think those solutions come from? Joy, if I get you correct, you're asking is really how do we develop a circular economy around plastics? Really, exactly. I, I, think, I, I think this is really what you're addressing. Yeah. I have to say is um, there is no simple solutions. Nobody can work alone to create a circular economy. Um, and one of the things that uh, we are doing as an organization or even as an industry, forget as an organization, the whole packaging sector, because as I said, I have a product, I sell it to someone else who converts it uh, for a brand owner and the brand owner puts products on the shelf. Eh? And to create a circular economy, number one is a collaborative approach. Everybody in the value chain 
needs to come together. Who's in this value chain? There's people like myself who are manufacturers of raw materials uh, or the plastics. We have people who take our products, convert them into the buckets, paper bags, uh, pouches, milk pouches, uh, whatever packaging they convert it into. We have someone who collects the waste. Uh, so basically the person who comes to pick up your waste. There's the recycler and there's also the person who collects the waste. So for this discussion to be successful, everybody has to be in the room. Um, and therefore, one of the things we have done and really what companies uh, are looking to do is that we have a responsibility to mobilize funds and create initiatives to support countries like uh, Kenya to tackle these challenges. Eh? So one of the things we did is that we invested in a recycler because you have to go to that person who is able to have a collection system. And once that the plastic is collected, he recycles it, adds value to it, and then it finds its way back into other products or even exported. And therefore, everybody in the value chain has played their part. One, you stop the leakage, you take out the plastic from the environment. Two, people are able to make a living out of this activity. And thirdly, is that that's where the innovation comes in. Today, uh, most of the recycling that's taking place, it's still very at its infancy. So there's a whole roadmap to really develop it and ensure that the product that comes out of recyclers is of high quality and therefore can be used for higher applications. And when that happens, even the waste picker or even um, anybody along the value chain gets put money back in their pockets. All right. Um, I like that you said nobody can work alone to create a circular economy. It's got to take a collaborative approach. And I think that's where now we need to work towards creating a sustainable agenda. And I really don't know what it would take because we just had uh, COP27 just last month. And I think one of the issues that people were struggling with was that Coca-Cola which is one of the biggest uh, plastic producers, was one of the sponsors around um, the COP27. And so there was a lot of talk around sustainability and producing plastics and then having a circular economy plug into that. It was a really big issue, um, especially among the activists themselves. And I really don't want to get into it because it's going to be a whole other conversation altogether. But I'm thinking that we definitely need partnerships and collaborations, and you've mentioned some of them. But we're seeing that climate change as well is one of the biggest threats to sustainability. And I want to pick your brain on how do we merge the circular economy with sustainability and well-being and making sure that even in the corporate world, in the business world, all of these factors are not left behind. Yeah, it's easy for people to be activists. But uh, I would like to refer you to one of my favorite uh, readings. It's called Man in the Arena. When you get a chance, read it. Eh? It says that it's easy to criticize, but truly, uh, uh, unless you are in it, uh, then you know what it takes. The reality yeah. is that you're right. Um, sustainability today is a topic that you cannot stay away. We are a publicly traded company. And in Wall Street, one of the big questions everybody asks is that they need to have an understanding of what's your sustainability goal and your targets. And therefore, today, the share price of most publicly traded companies have a component that reflects 
their ambition around sustainability. So as a company, we have an ambition around sustainability. And for us, it centers around two things, people and planet. So as I said, for the planets, uh, is essentially is really stopping the leakage of plastics to the environment. The other one is safer materials, uh, ensuring that the materials that we put out there in terms of raw materials or chemicals uh, actually have a safe profile. And uh, today, the journey of sustainability is relatively new to any and all organizations. And so what that takes is that we are all stepping out of our comfort zone and looking for partnerships for people who may understand and have those strengths to really activate. As I said, for example, if I look at our investment into Mr. Green, eh, which was its past in Africa, is really helping us get into a space where we are saying we need plastics collected and recycled. How do we come in as a raw material supplier or a material science-based company? Is how do we ensure that the recycling that's happening is uh, putting out products, number one, that are of high quality and number two that have higher value addition in the sense going to higher value applications and if we do that then sustainability stops being a, a talking point but something practical and the beauty and for those who are on the call if i look at the future the future is going to be around innovations around sustainability you look at all all the people who are getting a lot of funding from private equity there's that part of how sustainable is your business not just financially, but the impact it creates around people, around the planet. Right, around people and around the planet. And I keep seeing all these campaigns going on around how people need to understand the different uh, facets of sustainability, the sustainability reporting. And I think maybe our corporate world has tried to adopt all of those. And some of our business uh, owners and businesses generally around East Africa have tried to have that um, sustainability reporting going on. And with these campaigns, I know that you've had one of the projects called Mr. Green. That partnership, how did it come about? Because I guess for somebody who would really want to understand what sustainability is all about, what well-being or what the circular economy is all about, would really want to know from this campaign how you are able to get through um, with it and make people understand what this is all about. Yeah, our partnership with Mr. Green came um, about in an interesting way, but it goes back to those ambitions I spoke about around our sustainability goal. If I look at... And I'm addressing plastics in this case. Really to talk about sustainability around plastics, you're looking at three elements. You're looking at reducing the amount of plastics that you're using today. We're talking about recycling and we're talking about reuse. Now, reducing is where we are very good at because today, uh, that's why we are seeing a lot of the plastics that you're using today. Number one, everybody complains, it feels flimsy. But if you look at it from a functionality perspective, it's doing the work. So that's what we call downgaging, essentially doing more with less. When we talk about the concept of reuse, I think the concept of reuse from an African perspective is, is as old as time. Because today we repurpose. You use your jerrycan uh, after whatever, you empty the primary content that was there. You find another use for that jerrycan. So reuse around plastics is already happening. But recycling is where we had the big question and we saw the biggest opportunity. And that's where our partnership with Mr. Green really addresses. 
Now, Mr. Green has a very interesting uh, comparative advantage. One, he has streamlined and created a really huge network of collection when it comes to plastic. Number two, he also has invested in one of the latest technologies around uh, creating recycled plastic. So he's able to collect the plastic, clean it, pelletize it, and therefore it finds its use again um, into different products. But I think also what's interesting about Mr. Green is that idea of incentivizing with speakers, um, offering a higher stable uh, income by paying higher prices for his plastics. The, when you go to the supermarket and you were buying your coffee pack, you always find uh, a label in most of the coffee saying this is a fair trade coffee. So the fair trade concept is very simple. Uh, it's basically shared value across the chain. If the plastic fetches a higher market at the very end when it's recycled, then that value should trickle down to the collection system and therefore to the waste picker. And I think that is something that uh, we found that was creating an impact. Remember, one of the ambitions for us as a company is one, to be innovative, customer-centric, um, and the other one is to also have an impact in the economies that we operate in. And that's extremely important. And this is an example of how you can be impactful, not just from science, but also from the partnerships that uh, you make. And as I had alluded earlier, is that one of the responsibilities we have as organizations is really uh, ensuring that uh, we have a social license to continue operating, especially being the fact that we are uh, plastic producers. Okay. And then there was the other one. I think, what was it called? Mama Silage? Was it? Yes. 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 You don't talk, talk to us about that. I actually found that one quite interesting because I, I thought that it had this very unique identity to it. And it mm. probably was speaking to a particular group of people, but let's hear it from you. Yeah. Again, this is innovation at work where again speaks to the true spirit of innovation where you see a problem, you work across the value chain to solve that problem. As I said, Mama Silage is a, a, first of all, a global award-winning innovation recognized by the Packaging Innovation Awards. And number two, it's also created a lot of impact across this country and across the region. Now, what is it? Today, Mama Silage is a bug. And this bug is a tough bug, for lack of better words. It's a bug that can uh, farmers take. Uh, they chop up their maize together with the cob, the maize silage. They pack it in this bag tight and therefore they are able to store the, uh, the silage for a lot longer, um, especially when uh, the maize is out of season. And uh, for now, we have even farmers who prepared silage about six, seven months ago and they're still feeding out of that. Now, if I look at what made Mama Silage interesting and where the innovation comes in, one, it used less plastic. The bag itself is recyclable and it's reusable. In most cases, silage made in bags, you'd only use the bag once or twice. You can use this bag up to seven or eight times. So the concept, again, of reuse is really huge. Um, um, reuse, recycle, uh, designing for recyclability, and obviously downgaging, which is doing more with less plastic. Doing more with less plastic. I'm curious to also uh, pick your brain on the fact that and I know you said that you're in Kenya and in Ethiopia as well. Do you find that the behavior um, in Kenya is different from Ethiopia? Because I know people have previously said 
the Kenyan market is a peculiar market. But do you find the same behavior changes in the other countries where you've got presence? Every country has its own peculiarities in it, and you yeah. have to appreciate those nuances whenever you go into a new market. I will take a very simple example. How much fresh milk do you think is consumed in Ethiopia vis-a-vis Kenya? Mm-hmm. Here, every person consuming tea is drinking their tea and coffee with milk. Is that correct? Yes, yes that's the true. If you go to Ethiopia, this is not the case. They're a coffee-drinking nation, but a lot of their mm-hmm. coffee is black coffee. Yeah? Uh, that's a very simple example that I have given, and obviously their way of life. So the reality is that each market, and one of the things that we do whenever we go into a market, you need to ask more questions than give answers to them. Keep asking the questions and treat each market. Understand the needs of that market to be able to serve those markets better. So in Ethiopia and uh, Kenya, uh, neighbors, uh, but again, we have our uh, nuances and um, um, this is what really makes what we do quite special because if you ask the right questions and you understand where the true opportunity lies, and uh, how you can tap into that market. But yeah, but to your point, uh, I think you should treat every country differently and forget even country, even counties. The consumption behavior is very different. So this is a reality we need to navigate and also appreciate that. Do you find that it is a lot easier to explain uh, the sustainability agenda today than it was maybe five years ago? Because it only feels that up until the pandemic, Looks like the pandemic really opened up uh, people's minds and their eyes as well to really looking inward, outward, and vice versa to what the realities of the world really are. But do you think it's now easier to explain sustainability to people or to businesses than before? I'll answer this question in two ways. (laughs) One is that uh, from a corporate setting, as I've said, Every organization has sustainability goals. And um, it is the role of the leader to ensure that everybody in the organization understands what the sustainability goals are and how they contribute to that. Uh, And therefore, it's much easier when year on year over the many years, when you keep talking about the fact that we want to do good, we're not just a profit-making organization, but we need to protect the environment, we need to protect the planet. So it becomes that in everything that you do, you are always having that uh, at the back of your mind. And it actually forms the foundation of really building a sustainable business in the sense that it's not just about profits, but also about uh, the impact in the footprint that you leave behind. So from a corporate setting, very clear. And I think it's much easier when you have these discussions. But I look at it uh, from the lessons of covid the lessons of COVID were essentially, are we consuming more than we ever needed? Because I think it was almost a rude awakening of how can we consume responsibly? How can we be our brother's keepers? In the sense today, uh, the number one discussion in every household is how do we consume consciously? So this wanton consumption is, I, I think, decreasing at a household level. Or people are a bit more aware of how to consume a lot more responsibly. But the exciting journey ahead of us when it comes to sustainability, I have a colleague of mine called Mumbi and I saw her here. If you go to school today, kids as young as five, six years of age are being taught that today plastics is valuable. Eh? So whenever they drink their water, there's the collection systems of plastics 
these are aggregated and they go to recyclers. Uh, kids will say is plastics uh, good uh, for the environment. Uh, we need to plant more trees. We have also just come from two years of no rains and everybody spoke about drought, climate change. Is it as a result of the fact that we are consuming or we are damaging the environment? So yeah, so I think we have all lived through many examples that have, even for those people who are critics and or cynics uh, around the, the impact we were having on the planet, I think everybody now is becoming a believer and asking themselves what they can do. I like that. Um, so if I'm going to ask this as a personal question, how has being in the chemistry industry informed how you view life in general and how you are able to transform um, the goals of the business at Dow Chemical? You want to just tell us how all of this plugs into it? Because I can't even think about it. A time where chemistry was one of my favorite subjects. It's a good question. Um, being in the chemical world is quite exciting and uh, it opens up you to seeing possibilities of the opportunities we have out here, including that sustainability we were talking about. I think the future entrepreneurs will be heavily invested in sustainability. So one of the things that, at least from a chemical industry, I'm in an industry that now our biggest ambition is truly to be sustainable. And that really opens up opportunities for entrepreneurship. And that's really the exciting journey we can take. Now, at, at the consumer level, I'm a consumer just like you. So when I go to the supermarket, I'm able to see, man, here's an opportunity that we can innovate around. Or I see a product that doesn't work effectively and reach out to those brand owners to improve it. So all in all is that uh, without you knowing, you live and breathe chemistry every day. I think what's lacks is that if you're not in this sector, you're not able to connect the dots. But as I said, we're a B2B business. So we are always uh, in discussions with the manufacturers who put those products on the shelf. So it's quite exciting. And uh, you just see a world of possibilities uh, every day. And then the other thing that has happened for us and what makes it interesting is when you see innovations introduced in the market, they solve the problem, they thrive, and you're able to scale up those innovations, therefore creating the impact has also been quite fulfilling. Wow. Um, so to everyone who has just joined the space, we are talking about innovation. We're talking about collaborations and what the science is saying about the sustainability agenda and also around the circular economy and how that is informing uh, business decisions around uh, the African continent as well. And so we're going to open up the space to anybody who has questions. So if you have a question, kindly send a request and uh, we'll be able to allow you the mic maybe for about two minutes. So you're able to ask any questions related to what uh, we're talking about, which is science, innovation and collaborations as well. And looking into what the future looks like. I don't know. Where do you see our innovations heading towards? Because um, from a larger perspective, we are seeing people going into artificial intelligence um, and many other emerging technologies that are now informing decisions. And really the adaptation of AI does come with a lot of risks as well. So where do you see us going in terms of where the science is leading us to? Is that addressed to me, Joy, or to the audience? It's addressed to you and the audience as well, but I'll start with you. Yeah, it's just a world of possibilities. So much I'm actually going to not even call it change. It's just disruption. Huh? I think 
the way we consume the, in the future will change. The concept or even or what's coming in the near future, we all know this law of the National Waste Management Bill that was passed. And in one of those things that it mandates, the idea that you're going to have to sort your own waste before you release it to whoever is your garbage collector. So, but what I see is that in short is that uh, we should welcome disruption in many ways. It's going to happen in the chemical industry. Today, we have plants that are being operated by less than 10 people. Uh, and typically, these were plants that uh, were operated by hundreds and hundreds of people. So to your point, artificial intelligence, we have our logistics also uh, heavily streamlined. But at also at the household level, be ready to see a lot of disruption either through reuse or a smart packaging with a barcode such that you can get reimbursed when you take back that packaging to the store. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of disruption that's coming our way. And it's actually even unfolding as we speak. We are opening this up to anyone who might have questions. So please send through that request. Uh, and there's someone who actually, would I mentioned that we are going to have a conversation around science, innovation, and uh, collaboration. The question that they raised as well was a question around um, the young people. Do you think they are innovating for the future? Because many times we are seeing that the innovations they're coming up with are to solve instant um, problems, but not long-term solutions. What do you say about that, Leonard? I think innovation is an iteration process. If you were to look at all the journey great companies have taken, um, you have to be willing to solve the problem today, improve on it, and as you improve, disruption comes. Electric vehicles started and they could never be scaled up. Today we are talking about uh, semis. Tesla is putting up uh, these huge uh, 18 wheelers uh, on the road. So, or any other company that's been quite Apple as well, you saw them go through their iPods um, and now they're no more iPods. Huh? Uh, the point is that the young people are innovating uh, at a really fast rate. I think what we need to do is to really support that dream. Uh, put structures in place where those innovations have the platform to be uh, funded correctly uh, and to be scaled up. And then obviously for us who are in business, uh, really supporting the young people uh, by mentoring them. So there's a huge space. And I'm so happy with what the Kenyan youth, uh, obviously the African youth is doing around innovation, be it in the tech world, uh, be it in the building and construction space. Y you feel very hopeful that the future is bright. Um, if we keep doing this. Great. Um, so for those of you who would like to make comments, you can either do that in text or you can send a speaker request and we'll open up the mic uh, just shortly. Remember to use the hashtag Mongo Spaces so that we're able to capture uh, the comments that you're making regarding the topic today. Um, John, I think you want to make some comment, ask some question. John, you have the mic for about two to three minutes or or four at the most. Go ahead. Thank you, Jerry. And thank you, Leonard, for that amazing uh, spaces. Leonard, I have a question for you. Uh, knowing that the essence of technology and science and innovation is to contribute uh, to the knowledge and then the utilization of that knowledge to boost the prosperity of the communities around. Are there such programs you have with your company and you can highlight some of them 
think uh, it's a good question, John, and I should have pointed out there. Uh, as I said, one of the things that we're very proud of is leaving a footprint in all the countries that we operate in. And to do this is that you have to be able to tap into those young minds. And we have a very strong science, technology, engineering, and math program. We have partnerships with the University of Nairobi. We have also partnered with the Mukoga Vocational Training School for some of our projects. Um, and year on year, we have multiple projects that we are doing around science, technology, engineering, and math. We also run internships for young college graduates that lead, uh, who are still in university. Uh, the other thing is that, as I said, sustainability is a very collaborative space. You will find that we are funding as well as uh, creating um, platforms for people to uh, innovate, solving these challenges around plastics. As I said, we cannot do it uh, alone. So that's really um, how we engage. Uh, but yeah, being a chemical company, science, technology, and engineering, and math have been very close to us. And we have partnerships with the Kenyatta University. We are also part of the YALI, which was an initiative uh, Obama started. And we have been part of these uh, multiple cohorts um, having uh, uh, supported in that. All right. Great. Thanks a lot. Um, John, does that answer your questions? Yeah, that was very clear. Thank you, Leonard. Okay, great. Um, so, Leonard, I want to know from you as well, regarding these innovations and collaborations that you have, you've mentioned Kenyatta University as well as, as some other um, programs that you're running. In these innovation spaces among these groups of young learners and the institutions themselves, do you think that what they're innovating is in tandem with uh, the market's needs? Because usually we tend to have a clash where um, what's being learned, what's being innovated, and the encouragement that is going on in these institutions is far different than what the market demand is. Are you able to share research with them on what the market's needs are so they're able to plug into that with their innovations? Yes, and uh, it goes back to what I just uh, earlier um, was indicating. For example, we find the sustainability space being an interesting area where we are seeing some very good innovations coming from young people in colleges. What do you do with post-consumer plastics? Uh, If you were to this be it uh, building blocks, be it building materials. So, uh, and Mumbi has more details around this. We sponsored a, a cohort just around sustainability. And you hear very brilliant ways of how, number one, can you enhance collection of plastic? Uh, how do you create it into interesting other chemistries? So there is a lot happening in, in that space, uh, especially around sustainability. And um, and the other partnerships, for example, during COVID, this is when we truly went digital. And there, there was this, uh, how do you teach chemistry? Um, um, uh, or how do you record your classes for the university uh, lecturers uh, to ensure that people don't, no one is left behind? And I know my colleague uh, funded a very nice studio where you can, with the University of uh, Nairobi, where this, that really helped enhance the quality of the podcast or the classes that the professors were teaching. So, so that's been our play in that. But I would really encourage the young people to look at the trends of the future. The trends of the future are very clear. One, this concept of sustainability, where you're trying to ensure that it's not business as usual, it's not just about profits, but also protecting the environment and even yourself as a consumer. 
I see a huge space to innovate around that. Obviously, there's the digital space, there's the tech space. So that would be my answer. I'm not sure whether I've answered the question. It's there for sure. And you talk about the utilization of knowledge. Um, and I think that's probably one of the ways to go about it because I know that I've spoken to people who are in the telco industry who also say they're having a challenge um, looking at what the graduates are doing, or in this case, while they're undergraduates, what they're doing, what they're innovating vis-a-vis -vis what the market demand is. And that has led to a lot of uh, businesses, not just the telcos, a lot of businesses going directly to partner with these learning institutions to tailor make uh, courses that are relevant to the market demand. And that I think is where we are having innovation gaps and which has informed the collaborations between businesses and these learning institutions, which is, uh, I think, a fantastic uh, way to go about innovation and collaboration as well. Um, Eric, you have some questions? Thanks, Joy. I just wanted to ask a question about the relationship between Dow Chemical and DuPont. I know at some point some of the company split into three separate companies, uh, very huge and highly complex transaction. I wanted to understand the thinking that went into splitting this company into three separate companies and how that has gone on. I know they have a very rich history, all of them. Uh, so I just wanted to understand that. It's a good question. I can't pretend to have the complete answer. I'm quite far from the C-suit. Eh? But uh, um, uh, uh, I'll give you a history of how this company has navigated the water. There was always Dow Chemical Company. There was always DuPont. DuPont Numbers, both are an American company. So Dow and DuPont are American. They both had uh, agro-sciences. The uh, agro-sciences business is basically the businesses that does crop nutrition. So when you talk about uh, nutrition and the uh, chemical crop protection. Now, uh, if I remember correctly, it was 2018. Um, both companies came together and it was very uh, simple. What drove these uh, two companies coming together? Over time, over the hundred years the company has existed, uh, they had bought companies and bolting onto their operations. So if you look at Dow, we were in the agro-sciences space and that was as a result of an acquisition. We were in the what we call the water space. That was as a result of an acquisition. We were in the epoxy space. So it was a really huge, what we call a conglomerate. Basically, you have so many businesses uh, and it's been as a result of acquisitions. Now, you get to a certain of a business and then you realize you're not the right owner of the acquisitions you've made. Now, what do you do? Uh, this is really what happened with Dow. So Dow and DuPont came together, formed Dow DuPont in 2018. But the goal was very simple, that the businesses each of these organizations would retain should have very huge synergies in Basically, those companies should be the right owners of those businesses. And therefore, as a result, DuPont and Dow lost the agro-sciences businesses. The agro-science business from DuPont and Dow merged together and therefore formed a new company called Cotiva. Dow kept the packaging, infrastructure, and consumer care business lines. And DuPont took on what we call the specialty chemistries. Eh? And today, what you find is basically uh, narrower companies, but are able to go deeper into their chemistries and uh, are able to innovate faster. Because when your businesses are not all of the same nature, 
what will happen, you'll innovate in the short term for the business that's producing cash in the short term. But the business that will be here in the long term or a smaller business that has a future that needs a lot more investment to, to scale, that's normally left behind. And that's been the history uh, of this merger where the two companies came together, formed the biggest chemical company, and then we demerged. Now, what are some key lessons out of this? And really uh, to your question, one, all these sectors that we are in have what we call cycles. Eh? So you have the up cycle and you have the down cycle. And for example, now with all that's happening with inflation, global challenges of supply, energy crisis, you're going to hit a down cycle. But it's what you do when you're in your down cycle that ensures your survival in the long run. So what you find, one, is a very strict cash management process within these organizations. Two, very clear purpose of why you exist. Okay, you need to be very clear on why you exist. And thirdly, you must have a very clear focus on people. So uh, this has been the three things that I have seen um, that has really helped these organizations really whether the good times and the bad times and the bad times in quote but just difficult times that you need to navigate i hope that answers the question now good evening everyone as a colleague of leonard and he's mentioned um or articulated very well uh what dow is doing in especially the space of sustainability and i want to take you a little bit back to uh, you know um mention a little bit about the power of the youth uh, and the youth of Africa are really special because they have the ability to drive this agenda forward. And I think we are depending on them a lot. Um, I want to just mention two things. We, as a company, of course, we are enabling production, which is manufacturing. And from a production point, we need to enable our youth to start producing locally. Are they producing and selling to these markets? And hence, when we talk about the STEM and the power of science, and why we go to the universities is to make sure that the young students are understanding that we are empowering them to go out and produce uh, products that they can then enable communities progress. Hence our collaborations with the TVETs and the TVETs, we just don't go to just provide equipment, but we also enhance their curriculums and really expose them to the new technologies that can allow them not only to make application, to know how to put a tile on, how to make a wall with stones, but how to actually make a tile, produce it, make it, make cravats and really put it. But how can you actually do that in a more sustainable way? How can you apply sustainable solutions to do that? Uh, and you have really two great programs, even beyond our collaborations with universities and institutions. We have, of course, the Young Africa Leaders Initiative, as Len had mentioned, and we use what we call design challenge. We bring the challenges of today, sustainability challenges, we place them on the table, and together with the youth, we come up with a solution. So they go out and find the solutions. And the best solutions, we find them so that they can go out and be actioned in the communities. And this is how we can really drive that sustainability agenda. This year, we also implemented a big Pan-African uh, action with the youth. Again, the Youth Week of Service, uh, which is just bringing the youth of Africa around the so, uh, conversation about the SDGs and driving them to bring the voice onto the table and take them to action. And out of those engagements, we're able to see very, very creative uh, and innovative uh, projects that are coming out of the youth of Africa. 
and we are giving them grants to go and progress those projects. So we are holding the youth of Africa's hands. And I think it's an area that we really need to put focus on because, again, as we help them, we're helping our economies grow and we're allowing them to really produce locally. We want them to be manufacturers. They can manufacture and become uh, big producers of the solutions that we all need in Africa. So I wanted to make that comment because it really links back to why really we are supporting uh, this segment uh, of the population. Great. Thanks. That's amazing. And just to add to what Mumbia said, I think it's important to also highlight that while it's amazing that organizations and companies and businesses and multilateral organizations as well work with these learning institutions, it's also uh, key and critical to ensure that the technologies that are being used in these institutions of learning resonate with the new technologies in the market. Because one of the issues I think that um, one of the funders of an agri-tech project from the United States into Kenya mentioned was that students, for instance, in universities who are pursuing engineering courses are studying using technologies of the 1970s and then have to apply newer technologies of the 21st century when they get into the job market. So you can imagine learning to drive a tractor um, that was manufactured in, I think, the 60s or something. And it's the only one that's available for their tutorials. And then now he gets into the market and the tractor is a very different tractor altogether. So having to sync those two, that the technologies that are being taught in the unis are just about what the market resonates with and is looking into exploring these newer technologies is very important. Thanks a lot for highlighting that. Um, if you have any questions, kindly send the request, um, put through a request and uh, Eric would give you the mic so you can make a comment. Um, and as we get through that, Leonard, I want to hear from you as well. Looking into the future, where is Dow Chemicals focusing? The future for us is one is really uh, that focus on sustainable growth, uh, especially within the African context. And uh, it goes back to what Mombi is saying. Um, if you look at Africa and why people believe it's the last frontier is because you have the youth, you have so many people. I don't remember the percentages of how many percentage are below 25 and they're all living in a period that is changing so fast there's constant change disruption and the world feels the size of a bubble gum in the sense that there's no innovation that's being released elsewhere in the world that you can't experience either through social media through uh, the web or through any other way for that we believe for example we are in the right industry because 96% of the world's manufacturing goods are enabled by plastics so our job is to make sure that are we in the right markets are we creating the impact and innovating for the needs of those markets that's our short mid and long term goal that's sustainable growth number two comes the idea of impact are we also touching lives in creating or disrupting and create that change that we want to see. As we said, there's no reason that we cannot leapfrog the journey that Europe or the U.S. took to get to where they are. And that's really a challenge uh, to all the young minds in the room. 
I, I think finally, and it's a really big opportunity for us, is this idea of sustainability. Uh, and sustainability still remains one of the biggest opportunities that anyone who's an engineer and is getting into uh, this space, you will see a lot of disruption. Electric vehicles, the mobile space, anything digital, I think will be quite an exciting space. So for us, we believe for sustainability to become a reality, we need to pull all those elements together, be it uh, of the fintech, the digitalization, uh, just to accelerate that journey of sustainability. So this is what I can say, uh, the main focus uh, for us, sustainable growth, obviously to create that impact. Uh, and finally, uh, in everything we do, we embed sustainability. And then finally, people. Remember, I don't know who asked that question, is that how do you survive the good and the bad times to continue existing in business? At the end of all, you're just as good as your people are. And for us, uh, this is a key part of our journey. We need to ensure that uh, we continue to partner with the right institutions, get the best of the minds into the organization to continue creating that momentum for us. Great. I like that. And, and this is probably my final question <laughs> to both yourself and Mumbi as well. We look at the African continent and you mentioned that you're looking at it from the African context. If you look at the African uh, population right now, people keep talking about this demographic dividend and whatnot. But I, I tend to think that this demographic dividend we currently have, if it's not well managed and being channeled into uh, being more innovative, being more collaborative, we are likely to miss out on something. If you look at the rest of the world or the other continents, we have like aging populations. Uh, median age in Africa is about 18, 19. But if you look at the other continents, you have people, uh, populations whose median age is maybe 28 or 37 uh, for some countries. But these countries where the median age is much, much higher um, are countries that are already industrialized. If you look at the African continent, we are hardly industrialized. And that means that there's going to come a time when the resources and manpower and human capital of the African continent is going to be needed at a much more global uh, level than it is right now. And while we were bypassed by the whole industrial revolution, we have the advantage of the Internet of Things and being able to innovate, to um, develop technologies and tap into these emerging technologies that can then now merge and bridge the gap that the entire globe is facing. The key question is, are we ready to plug into this global pool of opportunity that is likely to show up maybe in the next 10 to 15 years. Are we really there? Are we in the right direction? Because you're in, into the science, innovation, and collaborative space. Are you seeing these technologies and our populations working to getting to that global scale and feeding into the current gaps that we have in the different parts of the world? Joy, the reality is this. For the youth dividend to pay, uh, the knowledge gap must yeah. be, be reduced. That's number one. We need to make sure that every man, woman um, whose youth really needs to be literate and have achieved some form of training. It could be 
uh, formal or informal. But that's number one. You need to breach that knowledge gap. Uh, and then when that knowledge gap is uh, breached, the first thing that you quickly realize is that then you become a global citizen. And today, globalization uh, is basically, uh, the world is the next frontier. It's not just Africa that's a frontier. It's basically the world. Huh? And for that reason, if you are basically having the skills, um, uh, the right attitude, you can then plug and play into any other society. You have to give it to Africans. I think we're the most adventurous people globally. Just by nature, you'll find an African in each and every corner of this world. Into even countries that where English is maybe the fourth or the fifth language, eh? but we, we find a way to thrive. Uh, so for me, uh, the reality is that um, with the uh, access to digital tools and the web, you uh, basically close that knowledge gap, but it needs to be very intentional from all fronts. And then the rest is that wherever there's that demand supply of labor, then you plug in. But the reality is that um, the big challenge we have today is that a majority of the youth do not have a tangible skill and uh, actually do not have knowledge divide is just too huge. The knowledge divide is too huge. And I guess with that said, um, we can sort of see where science, innovation, and collaboration stands. But I think there's immense room for uh, growth, and that growth needs to be tapped into. And thankfully, we've got um, very innovative, very smart brains behind the emerging technologies. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen over the next few years. And so it's been great having you, Leonard, uh, speak to us about innovations, about science, about collaborations around sustainability, because really, what are we doing if we're not talking about sustainability across Africa and around the world? So let's move on to Mombi. I really, truly enjoyed the conversation today, but I think um, as Africa, the biggest challenge for us as a closing is that we must come together if we have to really uh, lift something out of what is coming next. When we talk about the future, uh, the future can only be advanced. It's advancing really fast. So for us is that we need to really see the future. We should be able to see ahead as much as possible. And I can see some great things that are coming. We can see the Africa continental free trade area that is being developed, meaning that our markets are being opened. We have big opportunities ahead. We have got the youth ahead of us, we have got the technologies that are being brought by companies that, such as Dow. We have the conversations of sustainability. We can already go into it very fast. Uh, we have no excuse not to be successful. We can only just really put the barriers for ourselves, not to progress. We should challenge our, our political um, systems so that we are able to really break the barriers that we have across Africa so that people, good services can really move across Africa and we are able to enable these markets thrive. And perhaps um, companies such as ourselves will be able to enable these markets progress and advance the manufacturing uh, and in there also advance the conversation around sustainability. So well done uh, and thank you for hosting us. Leonard. Thanks, Mumbi. You wrapped it up quite well. I, I think for me, the takeaway is, uh, is this. Um, behind these huge brands that you see or big names or example, uh, organizations like ourselves is actual tangible successes or innovations. So I'd like to leave you with these 
two things. One, when you have your spare time, you can always uh, type in mama silage. Mama is the normal mama in silage. I think look up and see what that is all about. Two, we have Mavuno Bora, uh, basically Mavuno harvest and Bora, uh, uh, very simple. Three, when you get a chance, look up Mr. Green, see what they're doing. Uh, and then take it from the context. Could this be the next big thing? Could recycling be the next th big thing? And then four, for me, what's really critical is that we have the youth and we need to give direction. Uh, and this direction comes from optimism in the sense that the future can only be brighter, but we are the ones who are going uh, to be that change that we want to see. Uh, and it's quite exciting, uh, as I've said, landscape, and I see the amount of capital foreign direct investments coming to the different innovations in this market. You must be proud of what we are achieving as a market and, uh, and uh, extremely happy that to have uh, done this. This is the first time I'm participating in a Twitter space. And uh, thanks to Joy, Tessie and Mongo Capital for making it happen. And uh, visit our website uh, for those who are keen on uh, chemistry, see what else we do. Yeah, chemistry is exciting. Thanks and good evening to <laughs> Chemistry is exciting. Oh, my God. I don't even know. <laughs> I remember the periodic tables from high school and I'm like, you know what? Why did this subject have to be this complicated? <laughs> it's been an amazing conversation, I must say. And I mean, from just getting to know um, Leonard from a personal perspective to um, now getting to know what really uh, Dow Chemical is all about and uh, the plans that you have around East Africa and the continent as well and the presence that you have in 31 countries, 35,700 employees. I think that's amazing that the work you're doing is focused on um, the sustainability agenda, reducing, recycling, reuse and the aspect of having to look at it from that perspective and looking into the future and making sure that everybody is just being a part of it is what has really been um, the key takeaway for me. Sustainability today is something you can't talk about without mentioning collaborative approaches. And I think for me, um, there's so much that I could take away from this and I wish you all the best. Thank you for all the advice and also just um, allowing us into the space to understand um, what Dow Chemical is on about. Now, for those of us who are unaware of Mongo spaces, these spaces happen on a weekly basis and you can take part in them and follow conversations as well. If you look through the hashtag Mongo spaces, you'll be able to follow through all the conversations that uh, Mongo Capital has been having on Twitter as well. And uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter, the Mongo newsletter, and be able to catch up with all of the information that you need to know about um, in terms of company financials, as well as generally business news. You'll be able to get um, educated on retail investors and, of course, the rigorous research that they carry out and the high quality uh, productions as well that they do. So be sure to also find out for more information from them. You can follow Mwongo Capital here on Twitter, but you can also make sure you listen in to the podcasts that are released from time to time and basically find out more about Mwongo 
Capital. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you all for joining in. Please share this conversation with everybody in your network and follow Mongo Capital. My name is Joy. I am a media personality and a strategic communicator. Thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend and uh, happy holidays.